When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks. Today's episode features the very wonderful Reginald D. Hunter, who is brilliant. Uh, We've been trying to get him on the podcast for ages, but now we have, and he is, and uh, well, it's great. He was great, and uh, it was a real pleasure speaking to him, so I hope you enjoy this one. Um, As I've mentioned before, we're going to put a few more out at the minute because uh, there's lots of guests we've got who are at the Edinburgh Festival, and so, uh, you know, we want to put it out so that you can hear them whilst they're still playing there. Um, So that's the plan, and I hope you will enjoy receiving multiple dicks a week instead of, you know, spreading out the dicks. So that's that's what I've got to say about that. Hey, talking of festivals, we're going to be part of one. We're going to be part of the Cheerful Earful Podcast Festival. We're actually kicking off the festival on the first day. It's on uh, Thursday, the 6th of October. Uh, we're at 8.30. It's going to be at the... Um, Bedford Pub in Ballam, which is a really nice venue. They've got a really good room there to uh, do the podcast in. And it would be wonderful to see you there. You've got lots of time to buy tickets. I am going to announce one heck of a guest uh, shortly, but I'm just tying up some loose ends. But uh, when I do, you'll be the first to hear about them. But, you know, in the meantime, you've just got to trust us that it's going to be a good guest. You know the kind of people we roll with. It's going to be good. So get your tickets. You can Google Cheerful Earful Podcast Festival and you will be able to find all the information and buy tickets there. So please do that and we will see you in person in October. Right. The other thing I meant to say is that we will put a link uh, to the place where you can buy tickets on the description of this podcast. So uh, just have a look when you're listening and that's an easy way to do it. Or you can just search, as I said, God, I'm making this more complicated than I needed to. Right, I'll shut up now. Let's listen to Reginald D. Hunter on Desert Island Dicks. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian and swashbuckling adventurer, Reginald D. Hunter. How are you doing? Ha ha! Hi, sir. (laughs) (laughs) How are you today? You seem on good form. I'm all right. Um... I just uh, swing in through this window on, on this rope, um, as, as swashbucklers do, and um, I'm getting over a mild bug. Came down with it on Sunday, but I seem to be coming back this way. Tonight, I go on stage to do a preview, and we'll we'll see what we got to play with. <laughs> Nice. Okay. So being in an upbeat mood, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring you down by talking about things that you hate, but do you, do you find that's an easy topic for you to sort of discuss or do you try and keep things sort of positive most of the time? My estimation of myself says no, because my, my, my default nature tends to be somewhere between pleasantly mellow and pleasantly indifferent. Um, um, But though when someone gets my goat, 
they really get my goat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like some people, some people take your whole farm. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, we'll see how we get on today. Hopefully, it'll be a cathartic experience and won't descend into <laughs> putting you in a bad mood. So we'll see how we get on. Hopefully, we'll come away from this with no new enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Look how you laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm not one of them, that's uh, that's the, the main thing. Well, we're off to a great start, so I'd be very surprised if that happened. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, okay, so your plane has crashed. Who's going to be the first person joining you on your desert island? Ben Shapiro. Okay. His politics aside, which I find troubling, mm. I find his voice to be piercing um, and relentlessly grating. And it's difficult to listen to someone who has views that are polar opposite to yours in a voice that you find piercing and relentlessly painful. And sometimes I want to dissect an argument of his, but I get like 30 seconds into listening to him and I take off the headphones. And I go, I just can't do this no more. I can't. <laughs> I, I just, I, 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 I don't, I don't know how I would defeat him in a debate just purely because of the sound of his voice. Yeah. Maybe that's a tactic. I don't know. Maybe that's I, I've wondered that. I've, I've wondered that um, because um, I mean, to his credit, he speaks fast, and he has a sort of relent, a sort of relentless pressure-bringing way of framing, phrasing questions, and he speaks very quickly. And so I, I would guess that he has been told this before about his sound, and he has, to some extent, worked to use it to, to, to his advantage. Yeah. And, and for, for people who might not be that familiar with him, like give us a, bit, a little bit of a sort of overview of him so you can really sort of appreciate what a dick he is. Ben Shapiro is a is considered by many a, a right wing pundit. He has a podcast, and I think he's written a book or two. And he's very anti critical race theory, very pro Republican, very pro. Um, he's very pro Jewish. What's the opposite of an anti Semite? A Semite, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> a pro Semite. A pro Semite. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a significant supporter of Candace Owens, um, <laughs> someone who may or may not feature in the second and third slot of my island choice. <laughs> a Fox News a Fox News regular. Yeah, okay. All right, that's the real nail in the coffin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it feels like there's never been a better time to be a, a right-wing commentator, but at the same time, it's so much of the stuff is based on them saying how how they're not allowed to say anything. Yeah, there's so many of them; they're getting so much publicity. <laughs> yeah, I mean they act as if they have to have like secret meetings down by the docks late at night, and they have a significant impact on the airways and in some places in the world, total control. Yeah, I think in a, I mean in a desert island scenario, it would be so difficult to have, be with anyone like that because. I don't think just because they were cut off from civilization, they'd stop ranting about the civilization they'd left and sort of saying, you know, what's broken with the world. And, you know, maybe for the first day or two, you'd think, okay, I've got to stay in my box, not, you know, just keep the peace, not get into all of this. But there'd just be a time when you're doing something, you know, you're really tired and hungry and you just go, oh, for fuck, like, come on, like, of course it's not like that, you fucking idiot. You know, and then that would be it. That would never stop, I don't think. Yes. I imagine that the first, uh, a week or so, 10 days, uh, he and I would probably get along okay because we'd be in the same predicament and then we'd be looking for firewood and trying to get, figure out how we're going to catch fish and, you know, how we're going to survive. And then it'd probably be like one night 
we'll be we'll be sitting around a campfire looking at stars and the moon and just talking. And then all of a sudden that right wing stuff will start um coming out of his mouth. And then we'll probably disagree. And then uh, I will probably move to the other side of the island. And but then um after a while um we would get lonesome and we would resolve to try to uh, put our differences aside because our survival depended on us getting along together. So we try to hang out again some more and it would go well for a few days. And then he would, he would, he would say something analytical and crazy in that political and in that piercing voice. And then it, 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 it might be some coconut head smashing after that. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) I will have meat with my coconut for several days. Yeah, I've, I've, I've previously spoken on this podcast about with cannibalism, whether it's better to eat someone that you kind of didn't mind that much or someone that you hated, because it's like, you know, like, oh, God, now I've got to put that person inside of me. But like, oh, but they were a good guy. I don't want to eat them. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't think there's ever a good way around. But, um, OK, so we've got a good base of sort of tension now on the island. So um, who's going to sort of join join you? Who's going to be the second person joining you? I'm going to see Candace Owens. OK. Uh, she's also a right-wing pundit. She is she's very pro-Trump. In America, she's a, an unusual animal, like the like black Tories over here. She's a black Republican, and just mm. and both of these people um, spend a lot of time trashing the Democratic Party, which a lot of it's due. But it acts as if the Republican Party and the Democratic Party aren't the same people now. You used to be able to say uh, up until like. Six months ago, you used to be able to say that the difference between Republicans and Democrats was, was only abortion. You can't even say that anymore now. <laughs> it's, it's weird that there's still people going, no, I like Donald Trump. They don't even say, I like what he stands for. They actually like him. It's just bewildering, isn't it? Well, it was for me until I understood it a bit better. Um, going towards the more extreme right wing, you have people who more than wanting to fix the country or repair anything, they really want to say a fuck you to their liberal enemies. And anything that the liberal enemies get upset about or, or alarmed about, they are totally for. And there's something about um, Donald Trump that makes a lot of liberals just makes their brain melt and just become mad. And so it's, it seems like they want to keep the liberal side constantly vexed and warring with itself. Yeah, that does make more sense. Okay, yeah. So, so you've got these two right wingers together on the island, both sort of. So now you're outnumbered as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose at some point they might sort of turn in on each other about sort of various policies and stuff like that. But it's unlikely, isn't it? They're going to find you as a com- common enemy. I think. Oh, they would definitely band together. I mean, you know, I can see things going very poorly for me uh, for a time on that island with them two people there. Yeah. So I guess it all hinges quite a lot on who the third person is going to be joining you. Obviously, this being Desert Island Dicks, we're probably not going to have like a silver bullet that's going to fix it all. Um, so who's, <laughs> who, who's the third person joining you? Unless they're lined up like one behind the other. <laughs> <laughs> so who who would your third choice be joining these two already? Oh, um, I guess Ronald Reagan. But Ronald Reagan would have to do. Okay, and I mean, and, and I don't pulsate with rage towards him. Uh, partly, I guess, partly because you know he's inactive on several levels currently, but I see his trickle down economics as one of the destructive things economically 
um, to the um, American financial system and devastating to the poor and how he's just given a free ride to that. Mm. It's just, it's just, it's thoroughly goat getting. Yeah. I mean, the idea of sort of trickle down, like you, say, like, you know, if we can make it the rich richer, then, you know, it'll all trickle down and stuff. But it never accounts for the fact that when you've got money that you don't have to spend, you keep it in a bank because you've got spare money and it doesn't go into the economy. If we oversaturate the rich with money, then the rest that they can't take in will just trickle down and it'll be manna for everyone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it don't, it don't work like that. It's like... <laughs> um, it's, it's it's you 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 can't oversaturate greed, and I'm not saying the rich are greedy. I'm saying human nature is greedy. I watched this Jimmy Savile thing the other day, um, and Jimmy and, they, and the people that were being interviewed were people who worked with Savile at the BBC and various charities, and they were being interviewed, and they kept being interviewed, and everyone was like, at the time, I thought he's a bit eccentric, but I I couldn't put my finger on it, but and it's like they kept saying. I knew, but I didn't know I knew. And it's like, well, forgive yourself. No one knew, but I, I know, but I didn't know I knew. And same time with um, Voodoo Economics. It's like, I, I, was, I was alive at the time, you know, he announced this and, you know, these policies were discussed on TV and everybody else was like, well, I've never heard of such. Uh, it certainly has the benefit of being unorthodox. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, you know, people might go, do you know what? I've got a massive house. I've got all this money. I've got everything I need. I bet give give the rest away to people who need it more than me. You know, but that, that's relying on quite a lot, you know, quite a lot of goodwill. Could you imagine going over to your, co- your, your fifth cousin's house and your fifth cousin says, all right, I forgot to tell you, I have a lot of extra money. Do you need any? <laughs> I, I just... I, I, I have too much, really. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't need any, maybe you know someone who could use a few thousand. Here, take this. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I just... <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, my five-year-old son recently sort of said, he's got a few coins in a piggy bank. He said, listen, if you don't have enough money, I've got some spare upstairs. And I was like, oh, that, you know, it's really sweet. And like, but problem is billionaires aren't five years old i mean there will probably will be five-year-old billionaires these days but you know if if everyone had that lovely childish outlook on life then it'd be okay but um we'd probably also have other problems like i don't know cars with guns all over them and stuff like that so you know it's it's probably better the way it is in, in some ways but um yeah also i mean ronald reagan on the island he is quite old as well so he's kind of he's not going to be pulling his weight he's going to be someone that you end up having to look after a bit even though you don't really want to but Having Ronald Reagan on the island would be a major advantage for me, considering the first two people I chose. Because um, people like the first two people I chose, they look at Ronald Reagan as a god. And so if I got along with Ronald Reagan, and you know, I believe I believe I would get on with him. I mean, I believe he's very folksy and everything. And um, I can see him standing in, standing in front of the other two saying, well, I think you all make some nice points, but we're all in this situation together and there's no there's no economy on the island to, to fight about. So why don't you all try to get along with Reg? And they, they would instantly just fall on their knees. They'd be like, oh, yes, oh, great God of voodoo economics. We will do as you command. <laughs> and as long as I stayed in good with Reagan, I should get, he should be able to keep Candace Owen and um, 
Ben Shapiro from trying to kill me. Mm, okay. So then the pressure is going to be to keep him alive, basically, make him live forever, because once he's gone, then it gets nasty. But then another problem would be um, Ben Shapiro uh, tracked someone who's intellectually arrogant and very ambitious. And it probably just take a few days for him to sit around the campfire talking to Ronald Reagan before he goes, I'm smarter than Ronald Reagan. I'm smarter than you. I should be the Republican God, not you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a better time before that would start. And then they start fighting. And then Candace Owen would know what to do. She'd be confused. And then the Republican controls in her head would explode and melt. And I catch her in my arms and she'd go, where am I? <laughs> and I, and I say, I say, Republican. And she go, what? Never. Where am I? Who am I with? And so she become a human again. <laughs> and I would want to help President Reagan defeat Ben Shapiro. But I realized that that's not my fight. I have to let good and evil fight each other. Well, evil and not so evil fight each other. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and see, because, you know, it's like the quest, you know, I, 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 I so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like how this is spiraling into, you know, we can turn this into a series perhaps. <laughs> I think it's got legs. I think it's got legs. <laughs> a, de a Democrat gets trapped on the island with two Republicans and one Tory. <laughs> Comedy ensues. <laughs> Okay, well, that's the people dealt with. Now, uh, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? <laughs> uh, the worst possible meal would be liver with stilton cheese <laughs> with a bottle of Southern Comfort. That, <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think I think I would get a handful of dirt and some water and just fry it in a pan and eat that first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's unpack that then. So, yeah, I mean, liver is one of the things that I hate most in the entire world. So I'm definitely <laughs> with you on that. Was it? Did it feature highly in your childhood? Because I, I feel like Offal has a lot of child, bad childhood memories for a lot of people. Yeah, um, my parents, I mean, liver was probably cooked. We probably had liver for dinner like once a week. And on those days, there was no one around the house. It's Burger King Day for Reg. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and my father was real good in that um, my, mom, my father didn't force me to eat things. He, he'd be like, man, you don't like that? And, and a lot of things that I dislike, I have come around to really like. Like um, I used to find um, broccoli revolting. I used to find any kind of cheese revolting. And... And I grew out of that. But my mom, if, if it had just been left up to my mom, it would have been like, well, that're what we got. So if you if you're eating, that's what you're eating. All right, so we're going to pair that with Stilton now. like what are the reasons that you hate it? No, the taste. Um, people who like Stilton cheese and smoke um, Marmite smoke, <laughs> smoke Marlboro Reds, <laughs> um, I, I get nervous around them kind of people. I just I, I I think they have a capacity or depth that they can reach that uh, is beyond me, and uh, maybe maybe a certain level of ruthlessness that you know I just I just I just think those are two two very harsh things to administer to one's own body. 
<laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because there must have been the first person who tried it, and it's you know, it's an acquired taste, I guess. But I just to see that thing then go. Wait, have you seen what's happened to the cheese? Give it a go. No, fuck that. Look what it's like. It looks like. I don't know. I mean, it looks like some kind of weird fungus thing. It's it's mad. It, it makes you think like this is food that was developed during the war. Like, oh my god, the cheese is awful. Supply lines have been cut. There's nothing left but this moldy, rotting cheese. Eat it. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've acquired. I've acquired a taste for this. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know. Sometimes you get a nice steak, and it's got some nice cheese melting on the top of it. But imagine, like, yeah, the idea of like liver and, and stilton together. <laughs> a pepperoni and stilton. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> and and you're going to wash that down with Southern Comfort now. You know, Reginald, you're from the Deep South. Are you not all just drinking Southern Comfort all the time? And I mean, surely you're, it's it's. The main drink over there. That's what we've been told over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Southern Comfort is moonshine. <laughs> that's, that's what should, that should be called Southern Comfort. Um, I know a lot of drinkers back in the South, and I don't personally know one who, anyone who favors Southern Comfort. I don't. I don't know if any. I don't know many people who just who are disgusted by it like I am. But nobody I know reaches for it first. No, it's it, it, it's like a drink that we drink when it's like. We ain't got nothing else. Okay, we'll mix that with some coke or something, I guess. <laughs> but I can't, I can't, I can't even do that. It's, um, I don't know if you if you have this when you're drinking, but if you're going to um, get sick off a drink, there's a sip that you can take that feels like a line too far, <laughs> and, and you may not, you may not puke for an hour or two, but you know that was the line too far. <laughs> the line too far with Southern Comfort comes way earlier than with other drinks for me. I mean, it feels like a drink based on marketing because it's like, you know, when you're young and you're starting drinking and you try some whiskey or something, or maybe from like your friend's parents' house or something, and you go, holy fuck, is this, whoa, this, is, this isn't nice. I don't like this or gin or vodka or whatever. And then Southern Comfort, you're like, oh, it's kind of bad, but it's sort of sweet as well. It's sort of like starter whiskey. It's like whiskey with stabilizers, you know. It's, like, it's not nice, but when you're a kid, it's sort of, it's an entry point, isn't it? It's the sweetness of it that gets to me. There's something about mm. this, and I like sweet things, but there's something about the sweetness of Southern Comfort that just just gets me right in this, the, 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 just under my sternum, and I feel it. Mm. And, and my taste bud memory is a sickly sweet taste. Yeah. Like you say... You think people are probably drinking moonshine and stuff. I don't think, you know, like any kind of like good old boys are sitting around like with this really sickly sweet drink. It's such a funny idea. I am mean, just imagine just some old, some old good old Southern boys like, yeah, ice and Southern comfort. This is Southern man's drink. Hey, Tommy, bring out those little umbrellas for the drinks that I bought the other day. <laughs> <laughs> a while ago, they tried to sort of rebrand it a bit of like, you know, down here, we call it SoCo. And it's like, okay, first of all, no, you don't. And it's sort of like people in the advert kind of ordering a SoCo and Coke. You're like, look, even if I like the drink, I'm not going to the bar and asking for a SoCo and Coke. <laughs> like, what the hell is it? <laughs> oh, man. Let me ask you this. Do you have an appreciation for sherry? Sherry? Uh, I think um, there is some sherry. There's one called, is it Pedro Jimenez? It's really dark. That's quite mm. nice. But then there's mm. the sort of light stuff that t- sort of tastes like bad wine. Mm. Before I came to England, 
there were several things I did, you know, trying to get it, you know, a, a, an idea or an anticipation for England. You know, I watched My Fair Lady and I reread my Rumpel of the Bailey books. And and then I read something that um, indicated that there were a lot of sherry drinkers in England. So I bought a bottle of sherry one night and I attempted it. And I just, and I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should use this for cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your early understanding of what England was is probably a bit like, our understanding of the South based on Southern comforts kind of. Yeah, I, <laughs> like I, probably came, I probably came over with a slightly 19th century view of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to buy my own personal spittoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's your meal sorted. And I think, yeah, it's a, a horrendous combination that you've got there for your meal. So that's 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 good. But um, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? <laughs> the Green Mile. <laughs> <laughs> and my least favourite song, um, I don't know who made it. But it was uh, in early 80s, and it, oh, Mickey, you so fine, you so fine. You oh, my, my. yeah, yeah. Back home on, on the local radio station, they played that like three times an hour. <laughs> and, it, and like every, every, every school party you went to, it was, just, it was just everywhere. Wow, I'm getting flashbacks now. <laughs> 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 I mean, being a young man at a dance and trying to find up, pluck up the courage to ask a girl to dance, and then when you do, you say, wait, wait until the next song. I hate this. <laughs> oh, you love this. Oh, <laughs> this is your favorite song. Oh. It, 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 this song I hated was the favorite song of a lot of girls that I liked at the time, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Mickey might have been a hell of a dude, you know? <laughs> it, it sounded more like the way schoolgirls would tease a boy um, if they knew he had a crush on a particular girl. And they just follow him around. Oh, Mickey, you so fine, you so fine, you blah, blah. <laughs> and then just you, 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 your locker, you're walking there. Oh, and I, I, I was bullied by several girls at school. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a novelty song. Like it's something that you could almost imagine started as the theme tune to something and then became a hit afterwards. It doesn't feel like you can't imagine people sitting down to write it. You know, it's like it's almost like it came out by accident. You're like, what are we? We got this great new sitcom. Like. Write a jingly sort of upbeat tune. It's like, wait a minute, that's got legs. Oh, we could do something with this. Let's do a simultaneous sort of release with this sort of thing. But then you're like, oh, that's a, you know, like I find it amazing that the song from the Friends theme tune was a song in its own right before yeah. it was a thing. You're like, yeah, yeah. you wrote that on purpose to be a song. <laughs> you know, like, hey, how's the band going? Yeah, great, listen to this. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great, yeah. Oh, man, his band's shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Just imagine telling a girl to a girl and saying, I wrote a song for you. <laughs> She's like, oh, wow, that's um, that's... That's very lyrical or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think on a desert island, having a song like that, it would just, you know, because it's designed to get in your head. It's like, it's just something you'd end up humming and just be like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, very, it's, a, it's a very intrusive song. It's very intrusive. There's a bit in uh, Wayne's World where they, um, he's in the car just singing it 
And then they start singing and they're like, oh God, I better put on some music. And I think I I knew that bit of the film before I'd heard the song. But even just hearing two people in a film sing it was enough to get it in my head quite a lot. And then years later, I was like, oh, that's what Wayne, what you're singing in Wayne's World. Oh, okay, right, I get it. So yeah, that, that's the power this song has. So it's, it's, a, it's a good choice for going mad to on the island. And um, you said the Green Mile for your, your film choice. Yeah. What is it about that film? Well... I'm a big black dude, so I guess to some extent I empathize with the big black dude in the Green Mile. And here's a big black dude who can heal sick people, didn't kill anybody, and yet he still has to die to make the white people in this movie feel better. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking at this and it's like, well, this dude walks around heathen people and they still killed him. I mean, he even healed Tom Hanks' penis, and he still had to die. (laughs) And there's a scene in the movie where it's like like 30 white men with shotguns and and, and hound dogs. They're going through a field looking for these two missing uh, twin white girls. And then they find the black dude laying there on the ground holding the two dead girls, and he's crying because he can't make them live again. But in the next scene... He's in prison. Now I'm thinking, knowing what I know of Southern white men in the 1930s with shotguns out in the field, how did he get, how did the black dude get from that scene to the prison alive? (laughs) 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 Who who was the white dude who says, this looks bad, Joe. Yeah, better get a social worker down here. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take him in and hear what he has to say for himself. (laughs) Exactly. Just, I don't know. He seems mighty traumatized himself. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't suspect him of being a killer. I'd give him a hug myself. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine how safe you'd feel in those big arms of his. (laughs) And 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 it was weird at the time. When I when my white friends come up and go, you oh I love the Green Mile. It's great. And I'm like, oh, do you? Spoke to you, did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with that. Imagine the other people on the island probably quite like it as well. So you know, you're there, like, oh come on, we're having movie night. <laughs> why, why have you always got to go to the other side of, side of the island? Come on, just this one. It's gonna sit down and let's enjoy. You know, have, have a glass of Southern Comfort. Look, relax. Yeah, they're all three of them: Ronald Reagan, Candace Owens, and Ben Shapiro. They've just finished watching The Green Mile and Ronald Reagan going, oh, that was a fantastic movie. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish I could have played it something like that. <laughs> and, and then after that, they start, they're like, well, let's have our dance. And they start drinking sherry and dancing to old Mickey. And, <laughs> and I'm on the other side of the island eating my fried dirt and water. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it says it doesn't paint a pretty picture at all. Okay, well, listen, we've got one more category and then you can be out of your misery and stop thinking of awful things because finally the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? My easy one would be snake. I grew up in an area that wasn't very snaky. Most of our snakes resided in the swamps. But in places like Indonesia or like... <laughs> You get up one early one morning and go to the bathroom for a pee, 
and there's a ball constrictor just coming through the vents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a snake is my animal that make, instantly makes me unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go. I, I, it's like I, I I I go into some automatic mode. I dislike anything that makes me lose instant self control. One of the reasons why I love Britain. <laughs> no fucking mosquitoes. Oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> I tell my friend, my friend, my, when I first got over here, they was like, "Well, what they got over there is keeping you there." Uh, no hurricanes, no tornadoes, <laughs> no roaches, and no mosquitoes. And when I told my people that, they're like, "We're coming." <laughs> 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 so it truly is a fairy tale land when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I have um I've got uh my two brothers live in Australia and um my nephews were over recently and they're four and five and they were sort of asking me about stuff and they're like, Oh, there's a spider over there. Is is that one okay? And I'm like, Listen, everything is fine. But really? What all of them? All of them? And you like explain to a four year old that like there are no dangerous spiders when they come from Australia. They just can't believe it. About 15 years ago, I was at a house party one night, and I was um, I was on the patio talking to the great Andrew Maxwell, and he had just come back from Australia. And I said, what's Australia like? And he pointed to the dark field in back of the patio. He says, if this was Australia, in 100 feet, there'd be about 80 things that could kill you that you've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's funny because I think it feels like you know if you go to sort of Indonesia or Asia or somewhere because it's so, so culturally different, it sort of makes sense that there's more animals that can kill you there. Because Australia, you know, it's not a, like a giant leap away from like England or the States or somewhere, but it feels like you know they're really just like holding back the wilderness as much as possible, and it, every now and again it just creeps in. And you're like, oh my god, there's a toad the size of a fucking rabbit over there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking loosely of um, uh, um, uh, death uh, brought on by the wild, I have a friend from Minnesota, and it was really cold here in London one day. And I said, what's the difference between London cold and Minnesota cold? And she says, that's easy. She says, in London, you can sit in your house in the coldest day of the year with no heat and not die. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, well, scratch Minnesota off the list. Listen, Reginald, I think you've done a great job filling your island with uh, unspeakably awful people and things for your for your time there. So uh, I think you've done a good job. And, you know, you seem to have remained upbeat throughout. So I don't have to feel too guilty as well about putting you through this experience. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a nice thing to do. Well, uh, thank you for having me do this show. Um, you've got me take a little inventory of... Um the people who populate my thinking and I'm happy to say that there's not a whole lot of people that I currently despise. And so that's a nice little inventory. I I, I either like or am indifferent to most people. (laughs) That's great. I think, yeah, as I say, that's a a, a nice, calm, you know, sort of enlightened place to be. So, (laughs) so well done. I get a lot of people going like, God, I'm really angry now. I've done this. Some people, I think that's why I've been a little bit defensive about it. Like, oh, I hope, hope you feel okay at the end of this. So I'm glad. I'm glad. Now, Reginald, what are you up to at the minute? Where can people sort of see more of your stuff? I'm gearing up for the Edinburgh Festival. I'm coming off a brutal loss in, in at Latitude this last uh, Sunday. 
Um, things just didn't go well, and I, and I didn't I didn't perform especially great. My record is seventy one and five after a loss. So I expect <laughs> so I so I expect to be pretty sharp tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Nice one. Well, we'll keep up to date with everything you're up to. And uh, thanks again so much for coming on Desert Island Dicks today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, brother. Peace. So there you go. That was Desert Island Dicks there with Reginald D. Hunter, who was very nice to chat to. I had a really nice time talking to him. And uh, yeah, loads more to come that I'm very excited about as well. So uh, subscribe and they'll just pop into your, not inbox, but, you know, little podcast app, I suppose. Desert Island Dicks is a sync clap production. It was created by James Deacon. It's produced and presented by me. I'm Dan Benedictus. I think I've mentioned that before. And we get it edited by the wonderful Chris Attaway. He's a nice man. He's a fine editor. Those two things don't always go hand in hand. So there you go. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Huge thanks, as always, to uh, John Deacon, father of James. Not the Queen bass player, um, because obviously the bass player from Queen is called John Deacon. Not him. In fact, I'm not not keen on him. I've said that before in the past. He, He holds his bass way too high and... Just doesn't look like he's having a good time. Um, but John Deacon, James's dad, wonderful man. So thanks to him as ever for his unwavering support. That's it for me for now, but I'll be back very soon with another wonderful guest on Desert Island Dicks. So I hope you have a lovely time until then and even after then. God, I need to stop talking. Okay, bye. <laughs>